Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Deer Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their folkloric inceptions to their current pop culture incarnations. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I am joined today by both of my co-hosts, Leonard. Leonard has returned to us from beyond. How are you doing, Leonard? We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. I'm good, Dave. It's good okay, to be back. That's good to hear. Any any time, especially, I guess, topically, when it's a spooky subject and it's classical music pops up, all, all I ever hear is <laughs> tiptoe through the tulips. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't want to tiptoe through the tulips with me. Uh, Cameron is also <laughs> here. <laughs> Cameron, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, thank you. It's uh, The year is speeding by. Uh, I just realized it's almost the end of term. Like, I literally have two weeks to finish off the teaching for the term, and I don't know when that happened. But apart from the existential dread of time infinitely slipping through my grasp, I'm having a really good time. <laughs> well, it's about time. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this year has been going inordinately speedily, I suppose. Mm. I. Yeah, I don't think it feels like it's going fast. More like I don't remember the other parts passing by. Yeah, there's gaps. This yeah, <laughs> I think it was maybe winter. Well, here winter, and then I blinked, and then oh, it's fall now. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, oh, right well. back there again. Yeah, back, <laughs> back. It's just never-ending winter. Ooh, don't that's, want that. That's no. Let's not have that. We'll try to avoid that somehow. But yes, we're back. Uh, this is not a Castlevania episode. That will be nah. probably next time. Question mark. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Maybe. Uh, instead, mm -hmm. we've um, we've returned from once long ago to looking at to like picking a theme and um, mm. each of us exploring a different piece of media uh, in. in regard to that theme so this this week's theme is are there such things as good doppelgangers <laughs> and so we've each picked a piece of media that illustrates that fact or yeah, talks about it. it somehow it's up it's mm. in there somewhere probably <laughs> that was a thesis we'll see if we can defend it yeah i'm going with good to neutral yeah okay not actively That's, malicious yes not not the harbinger <laughs> of death uh that they are are thought to be okay so while each of us picked our thing uh the order has been predetermined by lottery not by lottery we mm -hmm. just decided it uh i will be taking a look at <laughs> the 2015 film the final girls cameron has mm -hmm. um decided to go with Moon, um, from two thousand nine. Nine. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, wow, it's been, is, it, it's been is a minute. Moon that old? Moon is, is that old? Oh man, that's <laughs> the, oh, that's rough. 
I know. Mm. I was I was gonna go with twelve. I was like, no, wait. I had the Blu-ray. It was earlier than that. Um, <laughs> fantastic film. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's, it's been it's it's been over ten years since I've seen it, so it'll be nice to yeah. revisit it, if only in um, secondhand reminiscing. Uh, and yeah. The Leonard is 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 going to regale us with the adventures of Mark Twain. Uh, that wonderful claymation children's classic that I think <laughs> I remember watching in school for some reason. Uh, oh, man. It was probably a bad idea. <laughs> I, I don't know. This will make but, the kids love classic literature. Uh, hey, guess what? It made this kid love classic literature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it'll be something. So, so <laughs> Leonard will tell us all about that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I will kick things off with the final girls, and um, this this was a comedy slasher. It's a send up of the slasher genre from mainly from the eighties. There's a little bit of history from this before then. Um, and as a fun little segue, uh, I just finished reading the book, or I guess listening to it since it's audio, very very nicely narrated. Um, My heart is a chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. This was fantastic, and another um, love letter to slasher films. Uh, so uh, I will just do a, a brief synopsis of, of My Heart is a Chainsaw, because everyone should go mm-hmm. read and or listen to it um, now. It's highly recommended. Uh, this this book is centers on the small little town of Proof Rock um, in the um, mountains of Idaho, and it's it's next to Indian Lake, the the home of Camp Blood, uh, where there was mm. a massacre fifty years ago. the The book itself is um, roughly contemporary. It's set in twenty fifteen, but most of its references are to late seventies, primarily eighties slasher films. The our, our narrator, I would say, maybe kind of unreliable narrator um, is Jay Daniels. Uh, she is um, uh, the, t- the child of the town drunk. One of the town mm. drunks? It's <laughs> nebulous. Her father's not a great dude. Um, it's, a, it's a rough uh, um Blue collar town. They they they're mining. They they were doing mining, and it um eventually just kind of like went under. So the town's just mm. there, and, and kind of it's, it's falling apart, but in a in a very very slow kind of decline. It's the it's the kind where you don't notice it. The world is just sort of passing you by. Mm. But what? What um, sort of kicks things off is a, a group of media moguls um, buy up uh, an area of, it was originally National Forest, but it um, somehow came up for purchase, public public domain. I don't know how that works, but um, they, they bought a, a bit of land across the lake and are, are setting up um, like a gated housing community for mm. like the, the rich side of town across the lake um, and that that kicks off 
events um, that lead to the potential resurrection of the late witch, uh, who has like historic issues with the with the town and may or may not have been involved in the Camp Blood massacre 50 years ago. And it's up to Jade and her encyclopedic knowledge of slasher films to uh, sort of solve what's going solve the mystery of what's going on, but not actually solve the problems. Because uh, one of the girls that, uh, or one of the children of the media moguls that has uh, started attending the high school is the, the the picture perfect epitome of a final girl and jade is um, using her movie knowledge to try to train up um this girl into for a final confrontation with uh, the entity that is threatening the town um it's it's all like it's it's sort of like scream it's mm. that kind of feeling to it but at the that same method. time, it's not pulling any punches. Yeah. Uh, and anything else would be like spoilers for what is going <laughs> on. But that's that's the basic setup. It's a a, a, mm. a girl praying for a slasher to uh, visit her town and get rid of unsavory elements, um, and maybe just the people in it. Um, because yeah. there's that that bit of nihilism, uh, existential issue, I guess, with the world at large. Uh, <laughs> the the author uh, is Native American, so a lot of the issues that it deals with um, in the book are uh, they're on the surface, but there's a lot of also subtext on kind of what's going on uh, with it's not just rural America but the country in general uh, and how things sort of pass certain segments of the population by or the opportunities just aren't there. Um, and when they are there, they're presented as uh, like rewards instead of uh, things that you should just naturally have that, that, that lack mm. of privilege. So the, the book touches on that um, in an overt way, um, and it's it's part, I guess, of the central themes, but it's not the thesis. So mm. yeah, I I highly recommend it. Um, and again, that's in my heart is a chainsaw. I'll probably just put a link to the Goodreads or something um, in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of slashers. The the movie that I picked, the Final Girls, uh, it's it's kind of the same. It's a very similar setup, so mm. aside from there being it's a small town, Valley, it's, like it's in California. <laughs> um, oh my! Wait, wait! It, uh, it said in the Valley. Yes, yes. Wait, wait, but okay. it's but it's not it's not set there. I'll I'll explain. Okay. Like, <laughs> the valley is not a small town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. The, um, I know the valley. Uh, it's it's not set there. That's just where the character main character is from. So, oh, okay. 
it's like saying that oh i'm from la but then it's taking place in um a, a camp camp blood oh okay it's it's <laughs> so <clears throat> the movie itself is it's about um well, wait another girl final girl uh, <laughs> Max Max Cartwright um, so Max Cartwright is a it's, she's they're either just graduating or they're like in their senior year of high school her and her friends but uh, a few years prior um, her she had been on uh, an audition circuit with her mother uh, they were going around and um, her mom was auditioning for some more movie roles she had been in uh several films in the 80s and had eventually been typecast because uh she had, she had taken um a secondary role um in the slasher film uh camp bloodbath and that like forever typecast her so every time she's doing auditions, they just go, I know you from somewhere. I know you. Oh, Camp Bloodbath. You know, and then she just doesn't get the role. Because uh, right. she's, she's trying to do more serious dramas or something. Mm. Uh, they're, they're driving home from another failed audition and get into a, a car accident. Um, her Max's mother passes away. Um, they had a like, really good relationship. And Hugh little time skip for a few years later um, that accident um, because she was she, Max feels responsible for her mother's death there was some, there was just some stuff going on in the conversation in the car uh, where she may have um, caused her mom to like not look at the road for a second it just it ended badly uh, um, yeah but Max is is going through high school and that her mother's death because they were so close just kind of shut her off to everything. Um, she she gets an invite to a um, anniversary screening of the, the two uh, Camp Bloodbath films, and they want her there as like a guest speaker or like just to be in attendance. And she, she reluctantly agrees, and so she she heads there with her her a few. Her, like her best friend or her boyfriend and then like an old frenemy and they they go to the screening uh things spiral out of control and the theater bursts into flames and to escape the the inferno um it's it's this is like if you go to watch rocky horror um uh so all the people there at the screening are like big fans of the of the series and they have props and you know they're dressed up as slashers and stuff it, it's it's that kind of event so there's a someone brought a machete to the mm. screening and she she of uses course. that to like cut a hole in the screen because there's supposed to be um an exit like a fire exit behind the um the movie theater screen which is really weird mm. but that's just where they put it um and her and her friends just make their way they, they escape through the screen uh, only to find themselves in the like it just transports <laughs> them into the film instead of out uh, into the back lot uh, oh so it's a magic machete instead of the magic ticket from last yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's Clearly. like it's like that <laughs> uh i don't they they didn't um 
hone in on that as a as a point, but that's it's just what kind of happened. Uh, so yeah. they're in the film. They find themselves in like a loop. Like the film will keep, well, things keep repeating for the length of the film. Uh, and mm. they haven't, they haven't gone anywhere. They're just like sitting on the side of the road and stuff just keeps like repeating every 92 minutes. And they realize, yeah. Oh, we're stuck here unless we get something to like move things forward. Uh, and thus um, kicks off the uh, Friday the 13th slash, um, I say slash, that's, <laughs> uh, or um, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it's like the van of kids going to yeah. the place. Um, picks up uh, Max and her friends who say they're they're um, the new camp counselors just to get out of the road. Uh, and ensues the shenanigans of trying to keep themselves alive uh <laughs> at first they're like not wanting to interact with as much as they can with the um the characters in the in the movie because if, if they don't want to derail what's going on and cause themselves yeah. to be caught up in it more than they already are uh and the the where the doppelganger comes into play of course is um max's mother had played uh nancy in the film one of the counselors mm. the kids so she like is trying to protect her because she just only only sees it as her mother instead of just like it's a you know her own like it's like the teenage version of her mom uh, yeah. yeah and the because of the characters who she is it's it's already sort of like she's innocent uh, pretty like she's not like bubble-headed but it like it, it starts that way like they're all the characters are, are characters they're there's just, they're just archetypes of teenagers in the 80s so mm. everything they say is kind of horrendous or very vapid uh, <laughs> just because they weren't given you know very great dialogue to begin with uh and yeah. Yeah. when when the kid or you know, when the kids are interacting with them it's not uh it's not working out so well because the characters are dumb, uh, but they they start to like gain a little bit more of their own personalities as they come to realize um, that there's a, a threat to their lives because they're for them it's they're just gonna talk about uh, the the boogeyman at Camp Blood and not think that it's real. But uh, Max and her 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 cohorts are like yes it's 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 very real and we have to prepare um to defeat billy billy is their their jason <laughs> yeah uh yeah and the 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 movie takes the time for uh max and nancy's relationship to get a little stronger to the point where max is trying to keep them all alive and see if she can find a way to like pull Nancy out of the movie. Like if they can all survive and pull her out and into the real world and then just right live with her mom again, even though this would be her like college age mom. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's the doppelganger effect um, because this, this isn't her, her mother's is, is her own person. Uh, but 
has enough aspects um, of Max's mother because as an actor, mm-hmm. she was putting herself into the role too. Yeah. Um, so there's there's bits of Nancy that are like Max's mother. Uh, it's it's it ends up being like fairly heartwarming. Um, however, uh, as all good slashers go, uh, there can only be one final girl, and that of course <laughs> um, ends up being Max. And um, Nancy yeah. sac- sacrifices herself in order to give Max the the power to defeat Billy. It's yeah, a lot of fun. Um, it's not a yeah. it's, it's a ninety two minute movie. <laughs> it's not very long. Um, and it, uh, it, it has some pretty inventive, uh, kills, some things that they do not go according to plan once they decide to, um, they, they make a plan to defeat Billy with everyone all working together, uh, try to home alone him basically. And it it just goes (laughs) really badly. Um, and again, Max is like the only survivor, so... The the movie ends on a. It's not even it's it, it's sort of uplifting, and there's a, other things that happen again that would like if you haven't watched it, I don't want to spoil it. Um, yeah, but it's well worth watching. It's not very long, and uh, the doppelganger is emphatically a, a good person. In this yeah, movie. yeah. Cameron. Tell us about all right moon moon uh yeah well moon is a 2009 science fiction film directed by Duncan Jones uh starring primarily Sam Rockwell as is basically uh the only character in the film that who you see as a human uh you know there's little snippets of other actors and things but uh this follows the story of Sam Bell uh, who is a man doing a stint on a lunar mining company. Uh, the the premise here being this company has figured out how to extract heavily irradiated rocks from the moon and use them for clean energy. Uh, and so they've got, you know, these big, essentially tractors harvesting moon rocks. And there's one guy up there who has to take care of all of it. Uh, and he's on a three-year contract by himself up on the moon, uh, just collecting rock and sending it back through this sort of cool uh, electromagnetic catapult, essentially. Uh, he he is, and uh, this is something I... Because I essentially just Googled for doppelganger films until I found one that sounded like it might contain at least a neutral kind of doppelganger. Uh, so I didn't know much about the premise of this film. I'd not actually watched it before. I'm very glad I did, because it's incredibly good. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a fantastic movie. Um, it's mm. now that you brought it up, it's due for a rewatch somehow. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. Um, uh, but uh, it kind of turns turns a lot of uh, standard sort of science fiction tropes on it on their head as the film goes on, which is nice. Uh, and my favorite my favorite inversion isn't to do with any of the doppelganger stuff. It's to do with Gertie, the moon base onboard AI, uh, who turns out to just be a very good and helpful AI <laughs> and doesn't secretly betray anyone or anything like that. Uh, it's it's actually very sweet. Um, but yes, the, the gist of the story is that uh, Sam has been up here. He's two weeks out <laughs> from the end of his contract. 
you know, he can go back down to Earth, be reunited with his uh, his wife and his daughter, who is only about three, so he's basically missed all of her life up until this point. And, you know, it's a shitty job that you literally don't see anyone else. You're stuck in this this tiny little base area with nothing to do except watch the monitors and, you know, fill your time with reading or ping pong or, uh, as Sam has done, whittling, whittling like a little model of his hometown. Uh, and, you know, there's not even a, a live feed back to Earth in the internet because the company's too cheap to fix that, apparently. Uh, so <laughs> don't get any live football games or anything like that. Um, it's, uh, eventually, you know, the film begins progressing. You have to, he has to go out and collect the, um, the rocks that have been gathered from the, uh, from the machines themselves. And, uh, at this point, you know, he's extremely cabin fevered, I guess is the best way to put it. Like he's lasted this long, but he's not sleeping properly. He's hallucinating. He keeps seeing this girl in a yellow dress when there's obviously no one there. Uh, and this causes him to crash his uh, little moon truck. <laughs> it looks like just a big sci-fi take on a Tonka truck, which is kind of fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and he wakes up in the base infirmary. No memory of what happened. Uh, and mysteriously enough, earlier he had burned his hand uh, on some hot water while hallucinating. Uh, but his hand's a lot better. That's nice. Good infirmary. Um, and Gertie, the AI, informs him, you know, you've just you've suffered some brain damage because you know you crashed your vehicle. Uh, we'll have you up and running in no time. Here, do some physical and neurological tests and just relax for a few days. Um, and uh, the, you know, there's a bit of tension and paranoia here because at this point, everyone starts thinking of the trope of oh, the robots obviously evil and working against Sam at this point. Uh, and Sam himself is very determined to get out of the base and see what actually happened uh, because Gertie has completely locked the base down. You know, can't go outside. You should stay here until we sort things out. Uh, and particularly suspiciously, Sam catches Gertie having a live conversation um, with a CEO or other higher up from the Lunar company he works for. Uh, when supposedly there is no live feed link back to Earth. And so uh, Sam engineers his way into, there's clearly some kind of leak uh, by just breaking a gas pipe when Gertie isn't looking uh, and convincing Gertie to let him outside to fix it. You know, it must be in a micrometeorite or something. <laughs> um, on, on heading out, he does notice that uh, one of the spacesuits is missing drives his rover all the way out to the um the machine that is still stalled from where he crashed into it and finds the uh the other rover still there with his unconscious body in a spacesuit still in the rover. Uh and uh this is the uh the big reveal is uh Sam the current current physically able Sam who's just driven out to the uh to the harvester is a clone. Uh he is the doppelganger. Uh, and this is where a lot of the film sort of really comes together because he's not a bad doppelganger. He doesn't immediately kill this man who bears his face. Uh, he actually brings him back to the base, gets him to the infirmary, um, and sort of, well, doesn't 
actually nurse him back to health so much as just lets Gertie take care of it, but, you know, doesn't immediately completely freak out. Um, and uh, so much of um, this film is about these two Sams and their interactions, because one is a fresh Sam, uh, straight out of the jar, uh, who has not experienced three years of crushing despair, being the only human in this terrible alien landscape. And the other Sam is like a touch-starved, socially needy guy who just wants to get on with uh, with this with this new guy who showed up. Like um, the the uh, quote-unquote original Sam, the the initial Sam, uh, is always like, "Come on, shake my hand," and like following our newer, fresher Sam around and trying to talk to him and just interact with him constantly, which actually really bothers the other one. And it starts as this very um, paranoid, distrustful relationship. And sort of as as the film progresses, they get to know each other a little bit better. They uh, They sort of come together a bit. You know, they begin to understand that, you know, they're just two people. They are, like, slightly different as well. Uh, which is the really interesting part is that um, the fresh Sam is very much like our initial Sam was when he first started working at the moon base. He's a little more impulsive and rash and uh, gets angry very easily, which are all things our initial Sam has worked on over his three-year stint running this base. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the plot thickens, obviously. Uh, the company is sending a rescue team to sort of deal with the with the uh, crashed rover that's blocking the harvester from moving uh, and to check on Sam because they believe, you know, there's a dead Sam out there they need to take care of and clean up before they can let this new one go and do its work. Uh, and uh, this this becomes an issue because if the rescue team comes and finds the two of them together, they're just going to kill both of them and start over again with a, with a fresh clone. Uh, there is... Um, a, a ton of the uh the, the classic am i the clone are you the clone uh who who's real are we real all that kind of uh kind of stuff uh and it sort of comes together with this uh the the fresh sam is obsessed with finding the secret room that the clones are stored in because he thinks it through and logically there wasn't time for a package to come from earth or from another um sort of orbital station so there must be a repository of sams <laughs> uh somewhere blue on the on the station your, blue apron here with your sam delivery yeah yeah <laughs> hello fresh fresh <laughs> sam straight to your door uh, <laughs> uh and this uh again leads to a lot of conflict because um the the initial sam doesn't want to think about this too much it wants to believe that he is the original Sam Bell, like the, the real true Sam Bell. Um, and the idea that there might be this, this vast repository of Sam clones somewhere on the base is sort of a, a threat to that worldview. Um, whereas the, the fresh Sam knows that he's almost definitely a clone and just wants to get to the bottom of this mystery. Um, and that's where a lot of their, their interpersonal conflict sort of stems from. Um, but uh, you know, there's, there's some fighting, um, and uh, the the initial Sam sort of bruises and bleeds very easily. He's clearly not as uh, strong or in, as in good shape as our fresh out of the box Sam, which understandable. He was in a terrible lunar car accident, 
and was just left out there for like two days. So it happens. Um, but uh, they they sort of come to terms with each other. Uh, you know, no matter what, we got to figure out what's going on here. Got to see what's happening. They both suit up. They each get in a uh, in one of these uh, these rover trucks and head out in different directions to see if they can figure out what's going on, if they can get out to where there might be a signal uh, from, say, another satellite or something where they can, you know, tell someone about this, try and figure something out, a, figure a way out of their situation. Uh, and they find the, the there is a sort of a ring of jamming towers surrounding the base, like far outside the um, the uh, the operating area of all their harvesters and things like that. Uh, and out past there, uh, they can actually get a signal. And the uh, the initial SAM uh, is uh, pretty pretty messed up. He starts vomiting blood. Uh, he's not doing super well. Uh, and at one point, he he returns. You know, he returns to the base. He's incredibly sick. He's sweating. He's got a terrible fever. At one point, he he uh, vomits so hard he loses a tooth. Uh, which is terrifying. Uh, and it sort of becomes fairly obvious at this point in the movie that he is, like, heavily degrading. Like, this is not a natural response to um, having, you know, been a bit beaten up in a car crash and then being punched a couple of times by yourself. Um, but the, uh, the, the fresh Sam is sort of still fixated on fixing this problem, you know, working out a way to for them to get out of this situation that they're stuck in, uh, where, you know, people are coming who are eventually going to kill both of them, and also we're clones trapped on this terrible space space that we don't want to be on. Um, and uh, at one point, the, uh, the initial Sam heads back out and uh, calls his wife's phone number... <laughs> Uh, and the, um, it's a, it's a live video call because he gets out past the, uh, the jamming barrier and it is, uh, picked up by a woman he doesn't recognize who confirms that yes, this is the Bell residence. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Tess Bell, Sam's wife, uh, passed away several years ago, uh, and that she is her daughter and she's like 15. Um, and this scene is really sad and poignant and touching uh especially because uh as he sort of questions her more about what happened to her mother uh eve the the young girl his daughter uh calls off camera for her father to come because someone's asking about them about her mother uh and he just immediately shuts the feed off and it is you you know um we hear the voice and it is his voice and it seems obvious that the the very original sam bell got off like uh got off the station and got back to earth and is living a normal life uh and it is really emotional um like a lot of this movie is very um sort of poignant it focuses on the, the subtler aspects of um the 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 horror and the potentiality in this whole doppelganger kind of scenario um and uh yeah uh, he, he literally just starts muttering you know that's enough like it's good enough for him that 
his daughter is alive and happy and he is there for her. And I think also as this is the Sam that has endured three years working here on the base, like uh, he sort of is just happy that one of them got out of that situation because it is an absolutely awful concept to to work in complete isolation from human contact for three straight years in this uh, completely hostile and like lifeless environment. Um, Heading back, uh, the fresh Sam has a plan. He's going to load the initial Sam up into the uh, up into the delivery system and just shoot him back to Earth, which is apparently a three day trip. Um, and he's going to wake up a fresh Sam uh, and put this fresh Sam in the crashed rover so that there's an appropriate body. Initial Sam can get back to Earth and live his life, and this Sam will figure his own way out of it now that he knows the truth. Um, at this point, they have found the uh, the facility, and it is just this endless hallways of, like, stacks of clone coffins embedded in the walls. It's kind of crazy how many there are. Um, and there's actually an interesting implication is... um. They look like decorations in a lot of the shots, but they are like food container pallets stacked up, and each Sam coffin across from it on the other on the opposite wall has a big stack of these food pallets, and it's like everything's accounted for. These Sams are going to need exactly this much food each. Like this is uh, pre-planned to the point of like to the day essentially. Um, and, uh, you know, once it becomes, uh, <laughs> once it becomes obvious that, uh, the initial Sam is not going to make it, he, you know, he's grateful that this fresh Sam has come around. He's a good guy. He's been a good friend for the, like, the couple days that he's known him. Um, but he's not going to make it, so he's going to, you know, ask him to put him back out in the rover where he found him. The fresh Sam can crawl into the um, into the delivery system to shoot himself back to Earth, and the Sam they have just started waking up will be the one here that the rescue team can find and help set up <laughs> to continue running the base for eternity. I guess that's good enough. Um, <laughs> the um, the plan goes off more or less without a hitch. Uh, the initial Sam has his uh, sort of sad sacrifice of just sitting in that crashed rover, incredibly sick, stuck in the spacesuit, literally unable to move uh, as his body continues to degrade. Like, he can't, to degrade, he can't move his legs anymore, all that kind of stuff. Um, the the fresh Sam is sort of all completely packed up with a bunch of supplies, uh, and his last real act, uh, the, the initial one is he puts in um, new coordinates for one of the harvesters. Uh, it's essentially instructing it to drive into one of those jamming towers. Uh, and he also wipes Gertie's, uh, essentially security bank, all, all the, uh, all the footage the robot has taken of the various things that have gone on board the, uh, on board the base. Um, and there is like a little hint that potentially the, the new Sam that they are working to, that is like lying unconscious in the firmary that's going to wake up in a second, 
it might actually be conscious to hear this conversation between uh, Gertie and the fresh Sam. I'm saying Sam a lot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of Sam going on in this movie. Um, (laughs) Which is fun. Um, And uh, yeah, like it is um, really touching like the, the relationship the two Sams have built up with Gertie, one over three years, the other one over like three days. Um, but like, you know, he is an AI designed to run this terrible clone sweat farm on the moon. Sweat farm, sweat factory <laughs> on the moon. Um uh, but he uh Gertie has sort of like moved beyond that and done essentially the the um the first the first law thing where like its prime job is to make sure the Sam is safe. And so uh, in all these situations where all these conflicts of programming has happened, it's always chosen the keep Sam safe and alive uh, sort of role. Um, and, uh, you know, he pulls off the kick me post-it note, which they've stuck on the back of him and all that kind of thing. Uh, and off he goes. Uh, the rescue team finds a dead Sam in a crashed rover, a freshly awoken Sam who's confused and out of it exactly what they expect and the sort of the stinger at the end is that um as the credits roll that we get sort of news clips uh in a variety of languages talking about the the current happenings you know the stock prices in this company are falling and all this guy named sam bell has launched a lawsuit against the lunar company alleging you know he's a clone of this guy named sam bell who lives in this town etc um the company itself obviously denies all the claims this guy is obviously just a crap pop crazy guy um and uh initial sam gets right before he dies gets that last moment of seeing the um the cargo thing flash across the sky so he knows it wasn't all in vain at least um it is a really touching and affecting film it's like i think it's like an hour and 37 minutes about that uh it did not feel that long it kind of in spite of it being about sort of the loneliness, emptiness, and stagnation of being the only person in a place, it somehow clips along. It's super well-paced. Um, it's got, like, I'd say, like, a generic sci-fi set, but it's, like, really well done, and, like, it absolutely fits the sort of just near-future corporate sci-fi style uh, right down to, like, Everything's, you know, white with glowing lights, but if it's not properly maintained, it gets dirty very quickly, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a story about two people working together in the, these terrible circumstances uh, against uh, a faceless corporation that has enslaved them. So I'm obviously a fan of the story. Um <laughs> uh it is yeah it is so good uh absolutely if anyone listening has not watched it i know i've like essentially glossed through the entire plot but this film is all about like the actual delivery of the lines it is 90 percent of the film is sam rockwell talking to himself and it's brilliant which is kind of insane um yeah it's it's really really good i'm very happy to have watched it hmm. I I didn't see it, but apparently in 2018, Duncan Jones um, put out the film Mute, which is a, a spiritual sequel to Moon. 
where it's in, oh. it's in the same universe, just on Earth. Mm. Like at the okay. same time. I'll have to check that out. And there's yeah. a third part, a graphic novel, uh, Maddie, once, a, once Upon a Time in the Future, just came out uh, mm. last year. So that would oh. be the, his, his trilogy. Uh, mm. from... Oh, cool. I gotta check those out, because, yeah, like, I this film is fantastic. Yeah. I, it kind of surprises me it took, like, nine years for a follow-up film to happen, but I guess it might not have been massively, yeah, not super massively successful box office one. Yeah, the, um... <laughs> The sequel was directly released on Netflix, and I don't think it did very well. But that doesn't mean it's uh, like a bad film. It has a good, yeah, pretty, pretty yeah, pretty, um, big cast. Yeah, and I mean, like the thing is, this was like an incredibly low budget film as well. Yeah. It was made for five million dollars, and sure, nine point eight million dollars at box office doesn't sound a lot, but for a film on a budget that small. That was uh had a fairly small at least like it released in Sundance and then like the US and the UK primarily in in cinema like that's that's it did pretty well it was uh pretty well received yeah I feel like well. what happened with mute might have been the fallout from him doing Warcraft which people didn't care for uh, so uh, that yes. that may have man affected yeah. the reception for um, mute <laughs> but um. Yeah, that's yeah, that's he did, fair. He did source code right after Moon, and source code was really good. Hmm. Yeah. I'll Although have to watch I, I want to say source code is also yes, that would be another kind of doppelganger. It's 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 similar yeah. to Moon, and I I want to say there's AI cloning involved. That was with Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's um, he's in a uh, in a role where he he gets he gets sent into a digital recreation of a train explosion, trying to figure out who um, the terrorist that set off the bomb. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, it, it was a good, it was a good movie. It's very yeah. It, it's it's similar to Moon in that it's like. This is more action, like an action-oriented mm. action thriller. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, well, um, he's been a great director. I mean, like, the Warcraft movie was fine. It just wasn't great. <laughs> it didn't yeah, have it a was, lot to it work was, with. Yeah, it was, it was, there was nothing, <laughs> it wasn't terrible. I've seen worse ones. Yeah. People were just mad because it, was it wasn't like I, the game. I, it's like, well, mm. yeah. <laughs> that's I, a lot made, to try I've to made made and you, adapt mm. I've made you watch worse films than yes. Warcraft movies absolutely yeah. <laughs> well uh, speaking of the things that you've watched uh, Leonard tell us about the adventures of Mark Twain oh man speaking of things that I inflicted on on, on my <laughs> co-host oh man let's talk about the adventures of mark twain the adventures of mark twain <laughs> is a 1985 claymation film from will vinton studios uh the creators of the california raisins uh only people as old as dave and i will know what those are <laughs> um, <laughs> 
uh, and tells the story of Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, and Becky Thatcher stowing aboard uh, famed author Mark Twain's uh, airship. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Mark Twain is a character that interacts with uh, the characters that he has written about. Um, it is never addressed. No one ever mentions it. It is uh, just a thing that happens in this film. This film's weirdly meta without actually addressing its meta textual nature. Mm. Um, so the airship's like a weird combination between like a zeppelin and a riverboat. Um, yeah. And uh, it is very steampunky. That is also never addressed. Uh, it's kind of like if you took Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory and turned it into an airship and then had Mark Twain pilot it. Um, <laughs> essentially, what Mark Twain is doing is uh, uh, going to meet Haley's Comet because he was uh, born uh, the year that Haley's Comet passed by the Earth. And now in his old age, he feels uh, a pressing need to uh, return to it. Uh, and mm. as such, has created this uh, ridiculous airship to uh, fly to Haley's Comet uh, for some sort of appointment. Um, and then there is a mysterious fifth passenger um, dressed all in black, uh, aboard the ship as well and given the uh you know the topic of today it's easily it's easy to infer who that fifth passenger is um so that's mm. like the framing story of of the film and within the film oh yeah by the way mark twain when he discovers the kids he's like oh yeah, it's good. It's good to have you all here because I'm not surprised because I'm Mark Twain and I made you. He doesn't say this, <laughs> but, that's the, but that's the implication is like, yeah. yeah, I knew that you'd stow aboard because you're my characters and now you're technically like my crew too. So like get to work while I regale you with, uh, with my folksy wisdom and um, some stories. So he tells the children uh, Mark Twain stories. Uh, and they're uh, uh, presented as little vignettes, uh, one of them being the celebrated jumping frog from Calvera County, the uh, Diary of Adam and Eve, uh, which is the longest vignette in the film and most relevant to the framing device. Um, then there's uh, Captain Stormfield's Visit to Heaven, uh, which is... Uh, weirdly subverted, where, um, whereas uh, in the in Mark Twain's story, he gets to heaven and kind of discovers that heaven isn't, you know, the way that most humans assume that it would be, and that your status on earth doesn't really mean anything in heaven, blah, blah, blah. But they twist it by having Stormfield land in a heaven... Um, that is specifically for a species of three-headed aliens. Um, <laughs> uh, and when he, uh, with the gates open, it's like, basically, it's like a, a, an endless nightclub, like, full of drinking and, like, 
very salacious behavior. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, Stormfield's like, um, all right, I lied. I, I'm not from Jupiter. Can you can you point me to like human heaven? And the aliens do. <laughs> and so he goes there. Um, and uh, the mysterious stranger, uh, which uh, is probably the only segment that uh, that uh, the majority of the internet population has ever seen of this film yeah uh, because it is uh constantly placed on uh a bunch of top 10 top most horrific children's film sequences ever um and i i i you know i'm sure dave's familiar with this film or at least the sequence uh and cameron uh i watched it I, earlier Cameron <laughs> watched it earlier. Uh, was this your first time? It was, man. That sure is something. <laughs> so I did. I did. You know, I wanted to break from the little doppelganger because this was this this uh my my film's relatively brief. It's like eighty seven minutes. Uh, mm. Did want to like have a conversation about the mysterious stranger as a piece <laughs> of media for children. Yes. Um, so, Cameron, can mm. you give me your thoughts on this mysterious stranger sequence? <laughs> uh, first of all, I love the animation style. It looks incredible. It's really, really good looking. Um, like the the use of um the constant changing claymation is really, really, really nice. Um, it is concerning to me <laughs> that three children meet. Uh, a headless person who holds up a theater mask, and they go, "Oh wow, he's so he's so impressive looking. He looks like an angel." Like, yeah, are you an angel? Like, yes, I am an angel. Ah, oh, what's your name? Satan. Um, <laughs> man, it's disturbing. Um, it is really, it is really kind of a good depiction of less of a a, a pop culturey Satan and more of a. Uh, sort of a biblical sort of old testamenty Satan where it's more of like an amoral opposing force rather than like evil specifically because like he does all these wonderful things like he builds this big sand castle out of nothing and then lets all the kids make like little people to inhabit it and uh you know then gives life to all of them and this little human society of little clay sculpted people is running around uh, and um, two of them get in an argument over a cow Becky had made, and Satan is really tired of just the sound of their voices, and so smushes both of them with his hand, because they're clay, and then, you know, it turns into, like, this little morning scene of a funeral for these two people. Uh, and then Satan says, let's have a storm and an earthquake. Stand back, kids, so you're not in any danger. Uh, and thus become, begins, like, the horrific sort of day-after-tomorrow apocalypse scene, but all in claymation with, like, little children's clay figures. Um, you know, like, uh, crawling away from these blasts of lightning. It's like, it's, it is weird and, like, violent on a sort of visceral internal level, while obviously just being, like a bunch of Play-Doh. Um, 
it's it's really really disturbing i love it um <laughs> yeah just just sort of um highlighting that you know the amorality of this of this character uh and it is absolutely freaky and then right after that they they leave satan behind <laughs> um, yes they leave satan behind and it's like oh okay we're past the scary thing and then there's injun joe and i'm like okay <laughs> all right <laughs> we went from we're from like meta horror with satan to just straight up good god that's scary yeah. um yes uh and the mysterious stranger sequence ends with i believe a direct quote from the book from the story Mm uh um man um uh, essentially uh uh uh, uh, with the essential thesis being um human uh everything that you want everything that you desire is completely pointless the universe Mm -hmm. is nothing but empty space save for you and you are only a thought um yes uh yes um um and uh uh from there as you mentioned the engine joe sequence um the uh interior of the ship is essentially uh impossible space uh, uh, because from the outside, it the ship is mostly um, balloon with like uh, 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 with all the uh, deck on top and the mechanics on the bottom. However, the ship is navigated by a, a device known as the Indexovator, um, which <laughs> instead of uh, taking uh, the characters to floors. Uh, takes uh, them to different Mark Twain stories. Yeah. <laughs> uh, including uh, the notebook, uh, 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 a floor known as the notebook of Mark Twain, where the three discover uh, Mark literally, uh, Mr. Twain literally appealing to God that once he makes <laughs> his appointment and sh- uh, shuffles off this mortal coil, that he uh, wants to use his authority to have God completely wipe out the human race. Uh, <laughs> no, no arc this time. He, he screams, <laughs> uh, and the three decide that, oh, okay, Mark Twain's completely and utterly insane. Also, if we fly into a comet, we're just gonna burn to death. So we're going to hijack this ship and fly back home. Um, I uh, sabotage. <laughs> uh, they do, uh, but only after uh, uh, Mark Twain uh, discloses that no, I'm not gonna kill the rest of you. Like I, this is a one way trip for me, but I'm leaving you the airship <laughs> um, so you can get back home. Uh, unfortunately, it's too late. Uh, they uh, disabled the ship. It looks like they're going to miss the appointment with the comet. Um, I should mention that previously, uh, the the group had encountered a uh, a storm, uh, and Mark had given them directions on piloting the ship, uh, uh, using mm. the mechanics of the ship to pilot it, and uh, they were terrible at it and cost uh, um, an engine and and some supplies. Uh, however, uh, on this uh, second attempt uh, to catch the comet, they succeed uh, in uh, breaching the interior of Haley's Comet. 
um, uh, it is then that the uh, fifth passenger reveals himself as uh, the um, dark half of Mark Twain. Uh, this uh, Mark Twain is also the one that took them to the meeting with the mysterious stranger and Injun Joe. Uh, they are easily um, identified by the fact that the good Mark Twain wears a white suit and the uh, uh, evil Mark Twain, who I will just dub as Dark Twain, uh, <laughs> wears a black suit. <laughs> um, so uh, eventually uh, Mark and Dark uh, reconcile with one another and literally fuse together. Um, they don't create a, a gray-suited Mark Twain. No, no. They just create <laughs> a Mark Twain that is split directly down the middle wearing a half-white, half-black suit uh. Uh, that uh, then dissipates into the comet. Uh, his <laughs> face reappears in the uh, the the uh, uh, cosmic ether of the comet. Uh, bids the kids farewell and uh, blows them out of the comet uh, th with the film's final revelation being that um, uh, the adventures uh, th with the title coming back up, The Adventures of Mark Twain, uh, written by the uh, Tom Sawyer. Thus, <laughs> creating a an infinite recursion meta recursion oh where oh no. <laughs> where Tom Sawyer canonically writes about Mark Twain <laughs> in one of Mark Twain's books. Oh um, God! The only notable voice uh, actor in the film is uh, James Whitmore, uh, who many people. Uh, uh, James Whitmore as the voice of Mark Twain, who many might recognize as Brooks, the librarian from the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, one of those super weird, uh, it's it's one of those very weird 80s children pro children's products that could and would never get made today. Yeah. Um, it's uh the animation's great i love it it's adorable um it's even though it's uh uh 87 minutes it drags a little the diary of uh adam and eve um is by far the longest vignette uh so long in fact that it actually gets interrupted by the main plot <laughs> uh, and then returned to later on um, and it's cute, but it, I think there's a little too much of it. But I think if you're into, like, weird stuff that would never get made and uh, and is, is like, a time capsule uh, into media of a recently past age, I, I cannot uh, suggest... Um, the adventures of mark twain uh enough it's, it's <laughs> a weird thing and once again uh, having just watched the mysterious stranger segment for the first time cameron um, you can understand uh um what a bizarre and wonderful little bit of uh, uh film history this is yeah <laughs> 
Uh, and yeah, that's that's the that's my doppelganger. <laughs> Uh, it is Mark uh, Dark Twain isn't particularly evil. He's just kind of old and tired, more so than Mark Twain. I think that's fair. <laughs> that that feels like um, a recursion on the themes in Moon. Mm. Yeah, the, the tired, yeah. tired and degrading one mm. fresh. Fresh sand. Juicy one. No, not mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. They're close to death and they've been stranded somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It's a good comparison. Oh, dear. Oh, goodness. Um, so, yeah. yeah so, that's, <laughs> that's our... Uh, can doppelgangers be good? Yes, they can be good and are neutral. Um, yeah, absolutely. Th- there's enough uh, fiction out there that shows the other side of the coin. That being the case, um, when Leonard first brought this up, the, the movie that immediately sprang to mind was uh, um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Doppelganger from 2003. Uh, mostly mm. because I've always wanted to cover that, and also because we at one point had covered um, Pulse uh, a long time ago. Yeah, I think didn't we, Leonard? Yes, we did. yes, we okay. did cover Pulse. Sometimes I, I don't always remember anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's on my plan to actually discuss that one um but when i was looking at it it brought to mind um there's a 1972 film called images um by robert altman and that one would make a good um like a double billing uh with yeah since it's there's there are enough years apart to show some of the same kind of concepts um but from different countries mm-hmm. So I think that that's potentially in the cards as well. And I really just want to watch that again. <laughs> and images was good. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. They're both good <laughs> But images sits in that sort of um, uh, alongside of uh, um, Polanski's like Repulsion and other films hmm. in the late, late 60s, early 70s. It's very dreamlike. It is. And, but not only the the subject matter, but in like the cinematography, where the lens is sort of like hazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting one. Uh, yeah, I think that that wraps us up for today. Uh, it would be remiss of us not to cover the other side in some way or form of of doppelgangers, and then kind of uh, mm. talk talk about some of the original tales that they sprang from. Since we sometimes forget to do that part of the show. Uh, so <laughs> on a future episode, we'll kind of tie all those things together, um, which would make a good cap on the, the doppelganger exploration. And like I yeah. mentioned, we may be, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe Castlevania will will sit on that a bit before we get to season four. That was just a lot of mm. Castlevania, a lot of Castlevania. <laughs> in a short <laughs> amount of time. So. I think we may sit on that before we finish up um, the good adventures of that intrepid trio. Um, mm. uh, it, 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 yeah. 
it is uh, worth mentioning that uh, tis the season, at least uh, uh, in the, oh, geez, uh, northern? Are we in the northern, western <laughs> hemisphere are we in? You're, you're in the northern hemisphere. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I was like, I, I was, go- I was going to say it so confidently, and I was like, "There's a chance that you might be wrong," and I was like, um, "Yeah, given, I don't, I don't uh, think the is, Earth is divided quite that way." <laughs> uh, um, uh, that uh, it is, uh, it might be worth uh, uh, taking a look at uh, a a uh, a new uh, autumn classic. Um, mm-hmm. In Over the Garden Wall, which Ooh, is a perennial yeah. favorite that I love, uh, that I actually love reviewing uh, every uh, year uh, since its release. <laughs> so that might be something that we yeah. uh, possibly take into consideration as well before we get back to the horrible crap world of Castlevania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't, I haven't seen that actually. I. And oh. parts of it, like it was on, and mm. maybe my brother or sister were watching it. That was more their age range when that came out. Um, but mm. it, that isn't is it Elijah Wood? Someone does voices for that. I don't. Know. Yes, Elijah yeah. Wood. Uh, John Cleese is in it. Uh, Tim Jeez. Curry voices a character in it as well. <laughs> It is a a, a all star studded. Okay, cast well I'm I'm sold. That's we're, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I almost want to do Dave, a, a, a Elijah Wood uh, centric. Like here's the weird horror films he's done because he knows how to pick them. Yeah, so he strange. does. Go ahead, Leonard. Um, oh, I was just going to say, I believe it is time for admin. Yeah, it's the final wrap-up. Uh, it's It's been a week, you'll have to excuse me. Uh, yes, Cameron. Cameron, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Come for pictures of cute animals and also... Uh, heavy complaining and protest about the Australian federal government, but that's that that happens. We got an election due soon, so you know that'll happen. You can ignore that if you're in America or elsewhere in the world. Uh, but there are pictures of a very cute dog because my parents got a new dog, and I love the dog very much. So that that that's good content. That's there. Um, <laughs> Leonard, where can we find you? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Faust is Dead. Uh, yeah, my life kind of, mm, I was going to say imploded, but that's not fair. My life just changed significantly, hence my uh, little sabbatical from the show. Um, uh, if you're remotely interested, you can read all about it in a bunch of old tweets. Uh, and you'll you can catch up with what's going on with me currently uh, with my new tweets. Uh, don't worry, everybody. I am fine. I am uh, yeah. better than okay. Uh, and it is good to be back. You can also find my video essay work uh, uh, by on YouTube by searching uh, at Doctor Faust is dead. 
Um, and you can also, um, there's very little content on it, but you can also, um, follow my, uh, my side Twitter account, which is for my film business, uh, which is, uh, at Umbra Knox Productions. Uh, I am currently in the process of, uh, getting together, um, the concept and possibly script for my first short film, uh, now that uh, my living arrangement has changed, and I um, am looking forward to uh, producing content for that. Uh, and I think mm. I also just recently made a SoundCloud profile. Uh, I will not give the name of that quite yet, because <laughs> there's literally nothing there, and it would be pointless. Um, but yes, I am. I am going on a uh, multimedia blitzkrieg, as it as it <laughs> stands, uh, and sticking my fingers into a bunch of pies. Uh, uh, once again, now that uh, I've I've entered into what I'm lovingly referring to as uh, my third act. So uh, <laughs> feel free to follow me there or free feel free to not do anything related to me because you know <laughs> whatevs uh dave where can people find you on the internet you can find me on twitter primarily at sentinut underscore plus you can find the podcast at mon underscore d monster and any back episodes as well as this one uh and some very very old old blog posts uh, on our website at monsterdeer.monster. We should probably put more content on those blog posts, but we're all very busy. Um, also, mm. it would be remiss of me not to um, kind of announce that friend of the show, Jake Lionheart, has started up his own, another podcast because he's done some in the past, but um, he is hosting one. Um, it's entitled uh, DN Beats Podcast. It's on, you can find them on Twitter, him on Twitter at DN Beats Podcast. And that one is um, uh, artists um, and music and other influencer, or, or how they're influenced by playing D&D, like how D&D yeah. itself has influenced their um, art um, in, in different mm. mediums. So uh, give that a listen. I believe at least one episode is up so far, and there may be a second one um, through their through his Patreon. But uh, yeah, check that out. Uh, and that's us. We'll we'll sign yeah. off and be back with you next week uh, for some thing else. <laughs> 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 we'll catch you next time. Bye, bye, folks. Goodbye, Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>